0: Good morning, I always have this fear of getting up here and my mic doing something wrong or it coming on when I'm singing. (laughs) Some of my weird little fears, I have others but that's a couple of them Um, and trust me it would be your fear, it should be your fear that it would come on when I'm singing. Um, My name is Vanita Jones and I'm part of the teaching team here at Christ Chapel with Women in the Word. And, um, it is my honor to be here this morning to, um, share what God taught me about work and diligence. Um, I don't know about the rest of you, but I can't believe that we only have one week left. The time just flew by. It seems like just yesterday, it was September 6th, and we were all excited about getting here and seeing everybody and getting started in Proverbs. And next week, we're going to have a Thanksgiving feast and finish up the, the fall. It's crazy to me, but, you know, I've enjoyed this study. I really thought that this would be kind of an easy kind of sail-through study, and I'll be honest with you, I think I've taken more out of Proverbs than I've taken out of any study we've done in a long, long time. Nuggets that I actually was able to take home with me and realize I need to apply these to my life. Things that I knew I needed to do. And I don't know about you, but I went through every single week getting my toes stepped on just a little bit and finding a few things that God said, we need to do some tweaking, Venita. There's a little work you need to do in some of these areas. There wasn't one subject we hit on. But I'll have to be honest with you make a confession. When I got my assignment for work and diligence, I looked at this one and went, I've got this one wrapped up. I can sail through this one, give it a little time, and I'll be eating Thanksgiving food before you know it. This is going to be easy. Because, see, I grew up on a farm. In the middle of Kansas. Yes, the beautiful, lush state of Kansas. <laughs> and you don't live 17 years on a farm in the middle of nowhere and not learn how to work. And work really, really hard. In fact, every aspect of your life was centered around work. You didn't have work and then you had school. Everything was centered and focused on the work you had to get done for the day. So, you know, I believe that I had this one all wrapped up. I knew that I had learned a lot on that little dusty farm long, long time ago. And I learned early on that what I believed that there were actually just two kinds of work. There was that kind that I was going to get paid for. And then there was that kind that I wasn't going to get paid for, but it was expected of me and the family depended on me to do it or my animals depended on their life, depended on me doing it. So that's all I really got when I was younger about work and for me. Getting paid to work looked something like shoveling snow in the winter, or mowing the yard in the summer, but never our yard, or shoveling our driveway, because that was expected of you. You had a roof over your head, you had to do that. Other people would pay me to do that. But my favorite work was, when I was very young, my precious grandmother, who actually lived on a farm too, theirs was a dairy farm, thank goodness ours wasn't a dairy farm, but um, she would have me come up to her farm in their little house set on about an acre of what looked like grass, but it was actually just mowed weeds, okay? And it looked like grass. But she despised dandelions, despised them. So she would send me out with a bucket and a spoon out of her old silverware drawer and have me dig up those dandelions all the way down to the root, shake off the dirt and throw it into the bucket. And at the end of the day... We would go up on the porch, and she would empty that bucket, and she would count them. She'd give me five cents for every dandelion. I was in tall cotton, ladies, because that was an acre of dandelions. I always had cash in the spring and summer. But the best part of that was, after we figured out how much she owed me, and she paid me my three fifty dollars or whatever it was, she would make me a purple cow. Have you ever had a purple cow? Vanilla ice cream with grape soda poured over the top. And Grandma and I would set out on the porch and look out on the field of no dandelions, and we would talk about the things of the world over a purple cow. It was my favorite, favorite work. And I loved it. But, you know, there was work on that farm that didn't come with a paycheck. And there was a lot of it. In fact, I learned early on something else about work. That that work that I did that I didn't get paid for, actually took more purpose and diligence on my part. I had to give more time to that. And like we like to say at Christ Chapel, I had to do that one with excellence. Because it was what was expected of me and the family was depending on me because we had vegetables to put up and we canned them every year to have them through the, summer, through the winter. This was for living. And my animals depended on me that I would do my job with diligence so they could be thriving and living. And, and the bacon on my plate, I wanted them to thrive and live because I loved meat and bacon, and so I wanted them to, to do well too. But a lot of that work was done with nobody looking. Nobody saw it do. It was behind the scenes. It was backstage work. It was done when nobody was looking. And one of those happened to be when, when I don't know if you know this, but when Sal's female pigs have babies, they will roll over and smash the babies if you don't move them immediately. So my brothers and I would take turns. We never slept in the barn by ourselves because that creeped us out. But we would always, one or two of us at a time would sleep out in the barn when the cat, when the, the sows were having babies and we would move the babies over into the next pen so they wouldn't die. How many knew that ever happened? But we did it. And you know, I'm pretty sure that that would be child abuse today to send my kids out <laughs> to the barn. To sleep in the dirt to move pigs, I, I'm pretty sure. And I am pretty sure that if my kids did one-tenth of what I did for daily work, they would already have had me on an episode of Oprah, or, or possibly on Judge Judy suing me for something, mental anguish or something. But you know, I wouldn't trade those years for anything, because I did learn a lot about work and diligence on that little dusty farm back in Kansas. You know, it truly was the best of times and the worst of times. Now, because of all that, I really thought, I've got this one. You know, this is going to be simple pimple. But you know what? God had another thought coming, and he showed me that I didn't have this figured out, that there are a lot of areas in my life that I'm not being diligent and not being consistent and steadfast. And that's what he was going to show me. So today I want you to open up to Proverbs 6. And we're going to be reading from there today. And the rest of your verses will be on your verse sheet. We're going to read specifically verses 6 through 11. If you'll follow along with me, we'll start unpacking what he taught me about work and diligence. It says, Go to the ant, you sluggard. Consider its ways and be wise. It has no commander... It has no ruler or overseer, yet it stores its provisions in summer, and it gathers its food at harvest. How long will you lie there, sluggard? When, when will you get up from your sleep? A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands to rest, and poverty will come on you like a bandit, and scarcity like an armed man. Now, I read it also in the, in the message, and I thought it really was, it, I really thought it sounded more like how I probably would have said it. It says, You lazy fool. Look at an ant. Watch it closely. Let it teach you a thing or two. Nobody has to tell it what to do. And all summer it stores up food. It harvests, it stockpiles its provisions. So how long are you going to laze around and do nothing? This part kind of sounded like summer with my teenagers. How long before you get out of that bed? A nap here, a nap there, a day off here, a day off there. Sit back, take it easy, and you know what comes next? And this is me in the summer. You can look forward to a dirt poor life. And poverty is going to be your permanent house guest. I thought that made it so very clear when I read the message. Now, you know that when we read this first part, it said to consider the ant and be wise. Now, after 49 years, I've learned that when the Bible tells me to do something, I'm supposed to do it. So I thought, I'm going to consider the ant and hopefully come out being wise at the end of it. So I did some research on the ant. And I was blown away by this. After I read just even a a couple paragraphs about the ant, I knew it was crystal clear why Solomon used the ant and not, say, a work mule or a pack mule or a workhorse to, to use as his example for work and diligence. The insect, this little insect, had so many characteristics. And, and I think they apply to so many different areas of our work, spiritually and physically. Physically. You know, the first thing I learned is that the ant is amazingly strong. Now, we all know this. We sing, we sing it in songs. We know this. They can carry all this huge stuff. And it says that they can carry things 20 times their own weight. Now, when I read it, I'm like, well, so what? You know, was it weigh an ounce, a, half, a tenth of an ounce? What is it? And he's lifting an ounce. But then I read a little further, and it applied that math to a human, and it would be like a small child lifting a car. That is huge. That is really, really strong. In fact, to me, that makes it able, the ant is able to seemingly impossible tasks. He can do things that, that we can't even imagine he should be able to do. And you know what? When we do our work on our own strength, with our own strength and our own power, we wear out pretty quickly. And I'm a living testament to that. I'll rush around on my own strength all day, worn out, with a frown on my face, or my husband walks in the door, when I should have been doing it on God's strength, so I could have done it with a smile on my face. You know, Ephesians 6.10 tells us, Finally, be strong in the Lord and His mighty power. Be strong in His mighty power. See, God's power is what makes us strong when we're weak. And in our, in our weakness. And when we submit our work to God, He empowers us to do that job with diligence. And that, that's when we become more powerful, even more powerful than that tiny little ant becomes. And we can do seemingly impossible things for God. You know, God's power helps us do those. And when we do those impossible tasks, we bring glory to God. And that's what we're here for, isn't it? Our work will bring glory to God. Now, the next thing I learned about the ant. Is that it doesn't have ears. Go figure. I, know, I guess I never even thought of that. You see his little beady eyes, but I didn't know they didn't have ears. But get this they get most of their information through their little feet. And as they take a step, they catch vibrations from the earth that tell them where to take their next step. I thought that was really, really cool because see, their almighty creator built right within them the information they needed to have faith to take that next step as they do their job every day. You know, 2 Corinthians 5, 7 says, we walk by faith, not by sight. See, as Christ followers, we're not only asked to step out and take that. We're asked just to take that first step of faith, and, and then God will help us by sending us the Holy Spirit. Our, our ability to step out... It, That's our obedience. And when we step out, the Holy Spirit will give us the information we need as we take those next steps. We only have to take that first step and continue to listen to the Holy Spirit. He'll guide our steps. You know, the ant also works for the good of the others in the colony. The ant cares for others. That tiny little ant is constantly caring for others within his colony. In fact, I read that they will fight to the death to protect their colony. Now, I'm not suggesting that you have to fight to the death today when you leave here to protect somebody. But what I do think we can take from the ant is that we should always be prepared to defend the weak and the needy in everything we do. Because we're going to come in contact with people all the time that need help, that need something, that need caring for. You know, First Timothy 6.18 says, Command them to do good, to be rich in good deeds, and be generous and willing to share. See, part of our work here on earth is to care for others. We're to look out for the interest of others in what we do. It's part of our job as Christ followers in every aspect of our life. Now, the next thing I learned about the ant is that within that colony, each ant is born with specific qualities, and they each have a specific purpose in life. I thought that was kind of cool, you know, because as Christ followers... We absolutely have specific qualities he's given us, and we have a specific purpose in life. And then he gives us these qualities, these gifts, so that we can use those to carry out the job that he's given us. Romans twelve four through 6a says this, "...just as each of us has one body with many members, and these members do not all have the same function, so in Christ we are all many f- who are many form one body, and each member belongs to the others." We have different gifts according to the grace given. See, as the body of Christ, we are all called to do service. And we're given specific qualities to carry those out. And they're called spiritual gifts. God gives those to us. He expects us to use them. Not only when you're inside the church. He expects us to use those gifts everywhere we go. That's why he gave them to us. Everything we do is kingdom work. Now, these tiny little anim- insects are constantly using those specific qualities to prepare for their future. They're storing up, and we read they store up and they prepare at the harvest, they store what they get because they're preparing for the lean months. Well, I read something that they do that is very specific, and this, these certain little ants have this very specific little job. When, when, when they bring the grain back, there's this little. St- underground storage unit, so to speak, where they put their grain or their kernels of seeds or whatever it is, there are ants that are born only to live in that storage unit and they bite off the soft part of that grain because in this kernel of grain, there's a soft part called the germinating part and then the bottom part, there's this part that has all the nutritional part, this is what they want, that's what they're going to live on when they get gets lean. But if that germinating part is on there and the, and the ground gets moist, it's going to start to sprout something. And when it starts to sprout something, it has to use up the nutrition to grow so that it would be an empty shell if they let it sprout. So all these little guys do is bite off the germinating part and store up the other part. So they'll have the nutrition even if the seeds get wet. It's brilliant. I mean, that is brilliant. and They didn't have to have a highly paid professor tell them to do that. Their almighty creator put that right in them to know how to survive. It's amazing to me. You know, they do their job with diligence. And I guarantee you there aren't any other ants down there watching them, making sure they do their little job of eating the kernels off. I think they do it because they know that's their job and they want to be diligent with it. And they don't want to get down the road and find out they should have done their job when the whole colony is starving. You know, just like the ant, we should always be preparing for our future. And we know where our future is, right? Our future is with Christ. So we should always be focused, everything we do, we consider work, should be focused on the eternal, not on the here and the now. You know, my my son, when he was, he's 16 now, but when he was four, he was completely obsessed with matchbox cars. And he had boxes and boxes and boxes. And he would follow me around and wherever I was working, he would build parking lots. And they would just be lined up everywhere. And one day in the kitchen, he had these two stools and he had these boards in between and the ramps. And he was, it was like parking garage. And I was fascinated and I was watching as he parked all the cars. And I finally said, well, what, you know, what is that one? And he said, well, that's daddy. I said, oh, what's Daddy doing? He said, he's going to his job. I said, well, yeah, he sees that every morning. Daddy leaves with his briefcase and he goes to his job. And then about 30 minutes later, I see Daddy's car driving over to the other building. So I said, hey, Casey, what's Daddy doing now? I said, well, Daddy's going to his God job. And, you know, he was four years old. And what was really cool is that he caught this. Because at that time, his dad and five other guys here in Fort Worth were starting a new ministry. And there were a lot of nights that dad went from his job to his God job. And he finished up his day in prayer and in planning and preparing to get this ministry off the ground. And he got that at four years old. And I thought that was really cool. But you know, as we've gone through life, even the last 12 years of that, I've realized that daddy has a job and daddy has a God job. But they're like this. They're all God jobs. And, and my husband really brought this to mind to me. He works he works in commercial insurance, and he's done this for 25 years. In fact, he's been at the same same company for 25 years. It's, I don't think you, hardly anybody can say that anymore. But about you know maybe 10, 15 years ago, he, it was starting to get a little stagnant, and he was you know just not enjoying it. And he came home, and he just you know he didn't feel excited about his work, and and he complained about, you know, the workers are driving me crazy, and I just don't feel like I'm getting anywhere at this job. And so we decided to really pray about this. You know, is God pushing him out to another area? Just what does he need him to do? And one morning he woke up and he said, you know, I know what I'm going to do. Of course, I held my breath because, you know, I wanted to make sure he's making money and taking care of the family. he got to take care of everything. And he, I was afraid he was going to say, we're going to sell everything and go to China or something. I was like, no. Well, he said, you know what I've decided is that I have made God a part of every other aspect of my life, but I haven't involved Christ in my work. And he said, I've decided that starting today, I'm going to be purposeful about partnering with Christ in my work, not just my God work and my God jobs and everything else to do with my family. I'm going to do it in my work. And that day, we prayed about it, and he continued to pray about it, and it was astounding how quickly it changed. He woke up, he could barely wait to get showered and get to work. He was so excited about what was happening at work. And God, he asked God to, to guide his endeavors in this area, and then he started realizing that he wasn't just selling an insurance policy anymore, but he was, he was actually seeing this through God's eyes. And it was an eternal focus. So he saw his clients differently. You know, they used to irritate him asking certain questions and da-da-da and all this. Now he looked at it as an opportunity to, to help them and, be, and to learn more about them and be around them. And then the thing that blew us both away is, we didn't expect to see this one coming, is he started to see his coworkers in a different light. And, and to this very day, hardly a week goes by... That someone doesn't slide into my husband's work, shut their door, and spill their heart out. And he listens, and he prays with them, and he shows them how they can grow spiritually, and how they can address it in a spiritual way. And he has seen so many co-workers grow closer to Christ through this. You know, when he started to do this, we began to see... That God was blessing his work. And I'm not talking about financially. Ladies, it's it's commercial insurance. It is feast or famine out there, I'm telling you. But he has blessed us in that area too. But the things he's seen outside of the financial parts of it has just blown us away. He has seen these coworkers; their hearts change for Christ. And, and many of them are now involved in churches and, and Bible studies. And, he, and I've seen him through the people he's met and his clients and other workers that he knows grow deeper with his in love with his Heavenly Father. And ladies, there are times that he would come home and he'd be working on an account that literally would just make you sweat. It's huge. And the company it doesn't want him to lose it. And he would be so scared and so worried. And he would come home at the end of it and say... In tears, I am humbled by what God has done for me. He didn't just show up, but he showed up in a way I couldn't have imagined. And he did things I couldn't even have believed he would do. And it just has changed his whole, whole perspective on life. And now when we, and whenever his work seems to get a little bit boring again, we know. We know what's going on. He is not... He is not partnering at that time. He's, he's moved away from that. And he gets right back into it. And we see it happen again and again. It is so cool. You know, our work too gets so monotonous. I, I don't know about you, but I can't stand to do laundry. I, cleaning commodes. All that just, ugh. It's like nobody even knows you do it. And I'll be honest with you, it seems like it has no value and that nobody notices. And, and you know, there are times I'm tempted just to give it a little bit less effort because... You know, it really doesn't matter. No one notices. And maybe I can just do this one not with quite the excellence I've been asked to do it with. But you know, God always knows when I do my work with less excellence and with less diligence. Somebody else might not know it, but he always knows. And ladies, our purpose is to bring him glory. So no matter what we're doing, whether you're the executive at some major, major company, or you're doing laundry upon laundry upon laundry, We're supposed to do it with excellence so we can bring him glory. Now, the last thing I read about the ant, it fascinated me. This blew me away. These little guys, as they go out, they're called the foraging ants. And they're the ones that actually bring all the stuff back to the nest. Okay? They go out and as they move about, they leave this trail behind them called the pheromone trail. Well, pheromone, I read on, is a chemical that they leave behind so they know where they've been. So when they go back out, they don't take that same path if they don't need to or whatever. But what was really interesting is, it's not only information for them. It gives information to other insects and other ants that cross that path. It tells them where they're going and where they've been. Other ants know that. And I thought this was really cool. It's like this ant is leaving this living testimony, if you will, behind them, about where they've been and where they're going. I love this. This was fascinating to me because see God gives us our work too. And and we do our work empowered by God's mighty power. And we we are guided by the Holy Spirit and we realize that this work is not about the here and now. It's not about us. It's an it's eternal thing. And we use our spiritual gifts in everything we do and we work with diligence and we work with excellence. You know what? then we leave our own living testimony of God's love and mercy to all those who cross our path. It's like our own little pheromone trail that others come across and they know where we've been and by the grace of God, where we're all going. I thought that was so cool. See, because then we're not only telling others about the gospel, but we're living it out in everything we do. In every part of it. And, you know, as far as I'm concerned, there is no better way to preach the gospel than to live it out in your daily life, doing your daily work, no matter what that looks like. That's what brings a smile to God's face. It brings glory to Him in what we're doing. Now, Proverbs 6, 9 through 11, we also learned about another kind of worker, and we're going to touch on this really quickly. Should I say a non-worker? We learned about the sluggard. Now, I was kind of an insect state of mind at the time. And so when I saw the word sluggard, I thought of slug, of course. And so I thought, well, I learned a lot from the ant. Maybe I should look up the slug really quickly and see what I can find out about the slug. And let me tell you, I'm glad I did. Because when I saw the flip side of the ant, it was amazing to me. The first thing I learned is that unlike the ant who, be, who makes his home in all this really nice soil, and everybody lives in this nice soil, the ant, the, the slug makes its home in the darkness of decaying leaves and decaying logs. Yeah, you know, and the ant will go out during the day, in the heat of the day, and work out in the sun, but the slug prefers that darkness to light. And that slimy little character will remain in its darkness all day long, and then it comes out only in the darkness of night to fill up its tummy. Now, I saw that same quality in the sluggard when I read Proverbs 6, 9, where it says, how long will you lie there, sluggard? When will you get up from your sleep? See, sluggards, these lazy people, would prefer to sleep their day away and not do their daily work. And then they'll come out and feed on their own cravings when it's dark. Now, the next thing these little slimy things will do when they come out is eat. You will know this, definitely, if you walk out into your garden the morning after a slug attack. It looks like somebody has taken a weed eater to your new plants. It is crazy. Crazy because these slugs leave a path of destruction everywhere they go. Eating leaves, flowers, anything that's good, they eat it up. And Proverbs 10:26 talks about this, the sluggard, and its path of destruction. It says, as vinegar to the teeth and smoke to the eyes, as a sluggard to those who sends him. And Proverbs 24, 30, 31 says, I went past the field of the sluggard, past the vineyard of the man who lacks judgment. Thorns had come up everywhere, and the ground was covered with weeds, and the stone wall was in ruins. You know, it's astounding to me how much destruction those little guys can do in just a few hours of darkness. Now, goodness knows, these guys aren't fast movers. Am I right? I mean, they go from point A to point B, eat up half my garden, and get back to point A in just about six hours of darkness, maybe, eight hours. It is astounding to me that they can do that because I'm pretty sure no one's ever taught them that the that the quickest way to get from point A to point D is a straight line. Point B is a straight line. Have you ever seen the slime trails of a slug the next morning after you've been attacked? Your sidewalk will have slimes looped everywhere. There are more loops in a slime trail than there is at Six Flags on a ride. It is crazy. And I stand there and I go, how did they eat all that? And it took them that to get there. They, they went thousands of miles to go four inches. It's crazy. And it, you, know, you know what it reminds me of? Do you ever see the family circus? Does anybody ever read the family circus? Years. I don't know if it's still even out there. But when the mother would say, Billy, go next door and get me a cup of sugar. And then they'd show the trail that Billy Billy took to go next door, and it was to the playground, to his friend's house. He played around a baseball, and he came two hours later with no sugar. Right? Do you remember those? I used to love the family circus. But that's what it reminds me of. You know, these slimy little slugs wander aimlessly about, and it seems like they don't have any purpose in life. But I guarantee you, when you see your garden, you know they have one purpose in life. And that's to fill their tummies to fill their tummies full. And Proverbs 28:19 calls this aimless wandering chasing fantasies. It says this, he who works his land will have abundant food, but one who chases fantasies will have his fill of poverty. Now the last thing I learned is that unlike the service-oriented industrious little ant, the slug appears to be completely, I mean totally self-focused. Completely. You know, he comes out in the dark to fill his tummy and only his tummy. He's not concerned about preparing for the future at all. He's only concerned about protecting himself. He has a very specific mechanism. Instead of fighting to protect the rest of the slugs in the whole colony or whatever it is, he rolls up in a ball like a a marble and gets all slimy. So nothing can hold on to him. He protects only himself. And you know that even that weird little loop-de-loose slime trail is for his own benefit. Because I read this, and this was kind of astounding to me. This slime comes out of the front of it, and when it hits the ground, it gets hard instantly because it has delicate little feet and it makes its path smooth. That is disgusting. I thought, I used to think these things were gross, but now I can't even stand to look at them. They have no purpose in this world. Proverbs 21:25 addresses the self-focused cravings of the sluggard. It says, The sluggard's cravings will be the death of him because his hands refuse to work. Did you know that if you put a lid of beer out on the, fr- on, on the sidewalk, it will go to that and not to your garden? And it will crawl in there and die. Yep. I mean, I think that says it perfectly. It goes straight to its cravings and it dies. Because it couldn't control itself. And it works. Absolutely. We've tried it. And they will. It will be filled with slugs the next day. And they're all dead. It's hysterical. But anyway. Now I hope that you can see that there are a lot of characteristics of the ant and the slug that we can apply to our work life. Our physical work. But let me tell you. I think there's a lot here that we can apply to our spiritual life. The, The work of caring for our hearts. You know that's the most important work God put us here. And I hope that you've noticed as we've gone through Proverbs... ...that there's this resounding theme throughout the entire thing. I really thought when we got to Proverbs it would be... ...oh, I'll learn how to be diligent in studying and reading the Bible... ...and da da and all these little, little tiny things I could apply in my life. Yeah, there were a lot of those. But every single one of them took me back to... ...how am I caring for my heart? Every single one of them did. You know, and, and we looked at wisdom... And we first started, and it told us in Proverbs 2, 2 that to turn your ear to wisdom and apply your hearts to understanding. And then ta- Shelly taught us about folly. And in Proverbs 6, she said that to keep our father's commands and not forsake your mother's teachings, we were told to bind those teachings in our hearts forever. And then we learned that our true heart transformation could only come by humbly applying ourselves and our hearts to understanding God's word. And then we learned when we tried to tame our tongues that we needed to do that. Because just like water reflects our face, our words reflect our heart. And Jeanette taught us that we should store our treasures up in heaven and not here. Because where our treasures are, there our heart will be also. And Amy taught us on emotions. And she reminded us that the surest way to control our emotions was to guard our heart because it's the wellspring of our life and Shelley reminded us in our in our relationships that all our relationships began with a heart that fears the Lord. And last week Lynn brought it even further and when she said that righteousness is a path of obedience that leads others to the heart of God. All of these weeks dealt with preparing our hearts and taking care of our hearts with diligence. So when I looked at this week with work and diligence, diligence, I began to realize that even though I had learned back on that farm how to work hard and how to work with diligence, I hadn't always applied those same lessons to the work I did to care for my heart. I applied them to my laundry, and I applied them to cleaning my bathrooms, but not always to caring for my heart. You know, we're told to guard our heart with all diligence. Proverbs 4.23 in the King James Version says it this way. Keep thy heart with all diligence, for out of it are the issues of life. The NIV says, above all, guard your heart. It is the wellspring of life. You know, I read a quote by an English Christian uh, author, and his name was Arthur Pink. And he said, as well might a poor man expect to be rich in this world without work or a weak man to become strong without healthy or unhealthy without food or exercise it's the same as a christian trying to be rich in faith and strong in the lord without earnest endeavor and a diligent effort we have to work at it because see keeping our hearts with all diligence it's the greatest task that god has assigned to each of his children it's the biggest job he's given us you know but sadly it's probably one of the things we neglect the most you know, we, we get busy in our world and our lives and our little families and everything we do. And, and then all of a sudden we're busy kind of taking care of our, our finances and our possessions and our bodies and, and our reputations and our positions in life. And, then all, and, and we're not doing the one thing with diligence that God told us to do. And that's to guard our hearts with diligence. So knowing all this, I wanted us to apply what we learned from the ant, to how we do the heart work that God has given us. He's given us heart work to do. And the first thing I think we need to know before we even start on heart work is that heart work, when you're trying to get a heart like Christ, is not for sissies. Ladies, heart work is hard, hard work. Believe me when I tell you this that if you ask God to show you those areas of your heart that need to be worked on, get ready. Don't say it just lightly. He's going to graciously reveal everything he wants you to change in your heart. And then he's going to give you what you need to do it, his strength, and, and your gifts that he gives you. And he expects you then, ladies, to do it. He's not just going to tell you what you need to fix. You need to fix it and work on it. Now, the second thing we need to know is that diligent heart work can be difficult and sometimes it's kind of confusing. But, you know, Christ, God gives us the Holy Spirit... And he gives us his word. And if we ask the Holy Spirit to guide us as we research God's word, we will be able to make a heart transformation that is unbelievable. Unbelievable. It's all in your, it's all in the Bible. You just have to read it. Now, diligent heart work also requires us to be purposeful and intentional. You know, without being purposeful and intentional about studying God's word, about being constantly in prayer and spending time at the foot of God, and confessing our sins, we soon lose our focus and we begin to wonder aimlessly about in the things of this world again, getting into our schedules. And we start looking like that slimy little self-focused slug. When everything's all about us and everything we need to do for ourselves. And we slowly allow that busyness of our schedule and it takes over all of our heart work. And before we know it, we've completely stopped caring for our heart like, like God has asked us to do. The one thing he's asked us to do with diligence. Now, the last thing I think the ant teaches us is that diligent heart work will bring about a true heart transformation. You know, when we do the heart work that's been placed before us, you, you all of a sudden have this living testimony to leave for everyone that crosses your path. You have your own pheromone trail, just like the ant. Because when you do that hard and sometimes really confusing work that comes with taking care of your heart and you're diligent with that and you do it with excellence, we have this own pheromone trail that we leave behind us and and it's our living testimony to all those that come into our lives and we can share that with everybody that crosses over our path. Please pray with me. Precious Father, I just I thank you for what you have taught us about work and diligence. Lord, I, I confess I thought I had this one wrapped up, Father. But you have shown me areas of my life that I need to apply diligence. I need to apply the characteristics of the ant, Father, to so many areas. Lord, I pray that each one of us would be purposeful and intentional in this, Lord. Because we know this is what you desire of us. And Lord, I pray that as we do this, we begin to see that our work begins to bring you glory and to put a smile on your face. In Christ's name I pray this. Amen.